Good morning. Good morning, church family. Good morning. Let me say that again. Let me get you guys fired up. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. It is good to be with you today. I'm so thankful you're here. Jimmy Martin, man, good to see you, brother. Uh, back from all kind of different training. Uh, Jimmy's in our uh, armed uh, forces, and this guy's been doing some, like, top-secret covert training. I saw you walk in and got intimidated, man, is what happened. So, so glad you're here with us. Uh, I have an announcement to make. Um, we have a couple in our midst who has achieved 61 years of marriage. That is Rudy and Beth Burns. They're somewhere in here. Give those guys a round of applause. 61 years. Beth, what an unbelievable testimony of your patience and endurance. I praise the Lord for that in Jesus' name. Um, So uh, I am so excited to be back. God opened the door for me to have the opportunity to minister in the country of Kenya. And I had the opportunity to connect with some uh, ministers there and encourage God's people in Kenya. That was fantastic. My family and I got to go visit some of our own family in Missouri after that trip. I feel like I've been gone forever. I am so excited to be back. Uh, I am kicking off a sermon series Uh, called Follow Me to Forgiveness. And this morning, I'm going to introduce the idea of forgiveness and talk to you about what the Bible teaches us about unforgiveness. And the Bible doesn't actually use the term unforgiveness. Uh, I want you to go to Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read you the first verse in Luke 17. The Bible doesn't actually use the word unforgiveness. The Bible talks about unforgiveness in terms of carrying around with you the sense or spirit of having been offended. And what we're going to learn is that in life, one guarantee is that you will be offended. Bad things do happen to good people. Unfortunate circumstances arise in our life. We go through seasons, uh, sometimes very long seasons of struggle and trial. And we get offended. We, we experience pain and agony in relationships. And when we experience that pain and agony, sometimes it can be hard to forgive a person of the pain that they have caused us. So let me start off by giving you my two goals for this sermon series. My first goal is that at the end of the next few weeks, you will not have a spirit of offense or unforgiveness towards anyone outside of this church. I've been praying and seeking God and asking God to speak to you through me, and I feel very clear that God does not want anyone in our church to have a spirit of unforgiveness towards anyone outside of our church. Second goal is that you do not have a spirit of offense or unforgiveness towards anyone in this church. And I believe if you will let the Lord minister to your heart through His Word over the next few weeks, that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can accomplish those two goals in your life, and you can break absolutely free of pain, perhaps in some cases that you've been carrying around for decades. 
So in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, Jesus teaches us that in life, offense will come. I'm going to give this to you in the King James because the word offense is translated that way in the King James. So this is Luke 17:1 in the King James Version. The Bible says this. You can follow along with me uh, if you have your Bible. And let me just say this. If you don't happen to have your Bible, if you'd open the WFR Church app, I'm going to be following the theme of unforgiveness throughout the Scriptures. So I'm going to be skipping around. I'm going to be in Second uh, uh, Timothy. I'm going to be in Matthew. I'm going to be in First Peter. So if you have the church app, that would be a convenient way for you to follow along without having to shuffle around in your Bible. And you can fill in the blanks uh, that are on the fill-in sheet on the app. And we're doing that as a church because we want to help you remember the content that, that those of us who are blessed with the opportunity to preach have prayerfully and discerningly heard and been ministered to to speak to you from the Lord. Okay, Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. Please, in the name of Jesus, open your hearts today. This can absolutely change your life. The Bible says this. Uh, Jesus then said to his disciples... It is impossible, underline that word, highlight it, remember it this week, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. In life, there is no possibility you can find a lifestyle in which you will not be offended. It's impossible. No matter what kind of lifestyle you live, no matter what kind of geographical location you live in, no matter what kind of people you live with. There is no possible way you can live in a world where you will not be offended. But woe to him through who they come. The Greek word there, and some of your translations read a little bit differently. Some of them don't say uh, the word offense right there. In Luke 17, I got the uh, NIV up here. I'll read this to you real quickly. Um, Luke 17, 1, the NIV, the, the, the verse says, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come. That phrase, cause people to sin, is the same Greek word that the King James translates as offense. Let me give you the word so you can have some Greek scholarship this morning. The word is scandalon. You can write that in your notes if you're taking notes today. Scandalon, which sounds a lot like our English word scandal. That's right. And that's actually where we get the English word scandal is from this Greek word scandalon, meaning to offend. Some of us have, have read the news recently about how wealthy families found ways of getting their unqualified children into prestigious colleges by writing big checks to the right people. And for a guy like me, who's not very smart or talented um, or funny, if you've listened to my preaching for very long, you know that I don't have a good sense of humor. I had to work my tail off to get into college. And then to read that some people were kind of given an open-door policy into really prestigious universities, I felt scandalized. All right, I felt offended. That was offensive to me, okay? And if you've kept up with that story, you may have felt scandalized. You don't have to look in the news, in the, in the culture, in Western culture, very far to feel scandalized, to feel offended, to feel as though someone has sinned against me. That particular Greek word, scandalon, is commonly used to describe the part of a trap bait hangs on to trap an animal. 
So if I wanted to trap a, an animal, I would hang bait on the scandalon of the trap to lure the animal into the trap, take the bait, trapping it, and owning or possessing that particular animal. Let me just say this to you this morning. The devil uses offense. The devil uses pain and agony you go through in relationships to cause bitterness to rise up inside you and ensnare you into a trap. And when you are entrapped by the enemy, you are absolutely under his control. If I have an animal in a trap, that animal is going to go where I want it to go. It's going to do what I want it to do. It's going to be where I want it to be. Why? Because I'm in control. It is no longer free to do what it wants to do. It's under my control. This is what Paul talks about and warns a young man in ministry he's trying to train to do ministry successfully. His name is Timothy. And he teaches Timothy that this trap that the enemy sets, this scandal on, happens through relationships. That's a major theme in the Bible, is that offense happens in relationships. If I stub my toe, it hurts, but I'm not necessarily offended at the piece of furniture that I have in my living room that I consistently stub my toe on when the lights are out. In my my house, in my home is a rogue Lego laying on a hardwood floor. Can I get an amen from somebody who's got little kids? Man, why why does Lego have to make the edges of a Lego so razor sharp? Now, that is a little bit of a scandal on, right? That offends me to a certain extent. So Paul is teaching a young man in ministry named Timothy that offense happens through relationships. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read you verses 24 through 26. Got this on screen. I'm in the NIV now. I want you to follow along and listen to what Paul teaches Timothy here about offense. Here's what he says. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Don't argue, don't be condescending, don't be patronizing, don't be quarrelsome. Instead, if you are a child of the Most High God, if you are a son or daughter of Adonai, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if that describes you, then you should behave towards everyone kindly, able to teach them and not really important word here that, that heavily bears on a situation that has caused me to feel scandal on, that has caused me to feel offended. Do not be resentful. Well, who are you talking about, Paul? What's this exactly describing? It describes our opponents, people who are against us, people who have hurt us. We're supposed to be kind to all of these people and not resentful towards them. And there are no qualifying statements. It's not like, well, if this person was a member of your family and hurt you, this doesn't apply. Or if this person was an employer and they were in a position of authority over you, this doesn't apply. This, this is not qualified. We are not to be quarrelers and are to treat everyone with kindness, especially our opponents, and not become resentful. That's our standard. And that's what Paul is teaching Timothy. Opponents, how should we handle those individuals who have scandal on us, who are, who are uh, against us? They should be gently, restru- gently instructed. Why? Because our hope is that God will grant them repentance for the sins they've committed against us. So they're guilty in God's eyes. God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. This is really important. And they will, listen to this phrase, Come to their senses. 
They don't realize they're caught in the enemy's trap. They've been lured in by scandalon. They've been lured in by offense. And they are now imprisoned by the enemy. And just like I was teaching you earlier, what happens when I am lured in by the enemy and I'm caught in his trap? I lose my own senses. I'm disconnected from that reality. And unless I repent, I cannot escape from the trap of the devil who has taken those individuals captive for what purpose? So they will do his will. They will do his will. Let me tell you a couple of things. The first thing I want you to know when we talk about being offended or having bitterness in our heart or being resentful and being unforgiving. I think those words all over the course of this series, you're going you're gonna to hear me use the phrase having a spirit of offense. And I'm kind of meaning all of that. I mean, being bitter, being resentful, or being unforgiving. When we have a spirit of offense, that likely has happened because someone we're in a relationship with has hurt us. And the first truth is, the more significant the relationship, the greater the pain I experience if those people hurt me. I'm reminded of the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, who is uh, put into a pit by his own brothers. And I cannot imagine how Joseph felt at the bottom of a pit as a, as a young man feeling helpless and alone and in darkness, knowing that it's the people who should have loved him the most that were the cause of his most agonizing pain. It always hurts worse when we're in a highly significant relationship with someone and that individual causes us pain and agony. And the second thing that's also true is in relationships that are really significant in our lives, listen to this, in relationships that are very significant in our lives, we tend to take those for granted and they're also the most difficult relationships in which to do the right thing. Relationships that are very significant are often the ones in which it's most difficult to do the right thing. Sometimes it is so much easier to treat a visitor who has come to your home than it is to treat the people who live in your home with you every single day with the same kind of love and admiration and respect you would treat a visitor for. If I came to your house, it it would probably uh, feel, you would probably feel motivated if I finished my glass of water to fill it up or if I left my plate on the table or, or my second or my third plate on the table, you would probably feel motivated to pick that up for me and put it in the sink. But when it's someone that you live with in a very significant relationship, those relationships are very difficult in which to do consistently the right thing. Okay? uh, Next thing I want to say is the greater the pain you experience in a relationship, the greater your tendency to deny you feel pain will be. Because nobody in our culture wants to admit that they're weak. The greater the pain you experience in a relationship, the greater your tendency to deny that your pain will be. So we're raising a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 6-year-old in my house. And I taught them this scripture yesterday because what were they doing in the backyard? They were quarreling. Can I just ask you to say a special short 
prayer under your breath for my wife and I as we deal with a household of quarreling uh, children, okay? So we're trying, we're trying to do what Paul is teaching Timothy here. Hey, handle these guys with respect, be kind and gentle to- towards them. And I call them in, and here's what my kids do, because we're trying to teach them toughness in a way. And so you can tell if my kids are real, if their feelings are really hurt. Watch my face. And if, if, if you guys can zoom in on my face uh, so they can see this online, because this is such a handsome mugshot right here, okay? My kids, if they're really hurt, will do this. Tongue over the front teeth, bottom left side of the mouth. And then usually they'll look down. And, and so I'll say, bud. <laughs> because in our house, don't take this outside of this auditorium, ladies and gentlemen. In our house, it's usually sis who has caused the boys to feel some pain and agony. And so, and so they'll come in and they're like this. And then here comes sis. I'm like, guys, what are you doing out there? You know, what, what happened? Well, we were arguing and we were fighting. Well, are, are your feelings hurt? And what, what do they normally always say first? My kids are like, well, no, no. Why? Because almost automatically we're taught to deny that people have really hurt us. And the greater the pain, the more likely the denial is really how that works. I get to work with lots of you on an individual basis and lots of people from the community. And it's really hard to get people to admit I did feel betrayed at some point. And, and that, that pain that we feel when we are hurting can fester as long as we deny it. And the longer we deny it, the more it turns toxic in our lives. And we, we end up being more influenced by the spirit and, and sense of being offended than we are by the power of the spirit of God. And once we've, once we've allowed ourselves to kind of surrender to that spirit of offense, then it is us who have taken the enemy's scandalon, who, who have taken the bait from the trap, and we're now held captive by the enemy for the sole purpose of doing his will. And I'm going to tell you what I believe the will of the enemy is for God's people in just a little bit. Jesus is going to share a little bit of that with us in Matthew 24. So Matthew 24, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the end of the age. And people have been saying this throughout history, but if we're not near, as near to the end of the age as you can possibly get without falling off that cliff, we're almost there. So Jesus is teaching in Matthew 24 about the effect of offense. What happens when people are offended? What is the effect? Here's what happens. The Bible says this, and then... Many will turn away from the faith. Now, I've I've got this in NIV, but if you had a King James, the verse would say, at that time, many will be offended. The Greek word there is scandalon. It's the same thing your NIV had at at Luke 17, 1. We said uh, many will sin and turn away. That's the same Greek word, scandalon. At that time, in the end of days, many will scandalon, many will be offended in their faith, and here's what, here's what the effect of, of a spirit of offense, of resentment and bitterness is in the life of a Christian. Many will turn away from the faith, many will scandal on the faith, and, and, and will betray. They will betray one another. And I would define betrayal 
as, as doing what is in my best interest, regardless of the cost to another individual. Betrayal is doing what is in my best interest, regardless of the cost to another individual. And if I live under the spirit of offense long enough, I will become a, a, a habitual betrayer. I will become somebody who consistently does what's in my best interest, what's, what feels good, what makes Trent happy, what's number one on Trent's agenda, regardless of the benefit or the cost to people around me. And living in that lifestyle long enough, that self-centered, self-serving, narcissistic mentality long enough causes me to eventually start to hate people. That's what Jesus says. They will betray and they will hate people. And many false prophets will appear and they'll deceive people. What are these false prophets talking about? Jesus gives us an idea in this very next verse. False prophets are going to teach people that their priorities and their feelings are the most important thing in their life. And if you're hurting or if someone's making you feel uncomfortable or if you're in a situation you don't like, you do whatever you got to do to make whatever kind of situation you're involved in feel the way you want it to feel. You're the most important individual in the universe. That's this kind of ideal. And because of that increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now, you don't get this in the NIV, but that word love is agape. And the nature of agape love is, is unconditional love. And that's the kind of love God demonstrates towards us. And if we're an obedient follower of Christ, then that's the kind of love we should demonstrate towards others. And the question is this, Jesus if we have agape love that's unconditional by definition, how can that grow cold? And it grows cold when we no longer serve the lordship of the Spirit of God and have begun to, begun to allow the spirit of offense to overwhelm our lives, betray others, hate others, and now we don't feel an unconditional love. Our love becomes conditional. As long as you make me feel good, as long as you give me enough validation, as long as you give me enough affirmation, as long as you make me the center of your universe and don't offend me, don't speak in a way that's offensive to me, don't tell me truth I, want, I don't want to hear, don't challenge me in ways that make me feel uncomfortable, as long as you don't offend me, I'm going to love you. And that's the exact mentality the enemy intends for the people of God to have, especially amongst themselves. Trent, don't preach truth to me that's offensive. Don't teach me things from God's Word that mean I need to change what I'm doing. Don't, and I don't want to live in a world where others are challenging me or making me feel uncomfortable or not meeting all of my needs or living with me the way I feel like they should live with. Don't offend me. Don't say anything, do anything, or be anything that doesn't make me feel good, and we're fine. That's, that's, how, that's how that attitude of betrayal that leads to hatred eventually makes the love of the group of people who are supposed to love unconditionally become conditional. When the enemy has God's people in that place, he has us in his trap. And then what are we doing? Not the will of God anymore. The will of God. Of the enemy. Betrayal ultimately leads to hatred, which ultimately leads to hardening. That's that idea of that, that love growing cold. 
What a tragedy for people who have been set free by the power of God and called to live lovingly in unconditional love for their love to grow cold and become conditional. Here's the power and majesty of our God, though. God can use offense to accomplish His purposes. We consistently see in the Scriptures that we serve a God who is so powerful, He can use the sinful decisions of fallen people to accomplish His purpose. This is not on the screen, but it is in your notes if you're following along on the church app. Isaiah 48.10, God says, I have refined you, not as silver, not through actual fire. What have I done? How have I refined you? I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. God uses affliction and hardship and even offense, pain and agony that we've gone through and the bitterness and resentment we feel as a result. He uses that to refine us. Let me share with you a scripture from 1 Peter chapter 1. These, this is verses 6 and 7. This is on the screen. Here's what, here's what God's word teaches us about God using offense in a very constructive, productive way in line with his purpose. He says this, In all this you greatly rejoice. Every hardship you go through, every difficult word's ever been spoken against you, every person that's ever hurt you, in all this you can find joy. You greatly rejoice. I'm going to teach you how to do that in just a minute. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Man, we can relate to that. We live in 2019, the United States of America. Your life is a trial. And I'm not minimizing that. You wake up in a culture that is poisoned by the enemy and it is working against you every second of the day. You live under that kind of trial and you and I, we we feel the heaviness of that grief. Man, we're grinding it out. We're toughing it out. We're trying to make a way and we feel that suffering. But these have come on us, all of us, so that the proven genuineness of our faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by the fire may result what's the end game here that god gets glory may result in praise and glory and honor when jesus christ is revealed first thing god does with offense is he purifies our heart the first thing god does with offense is he purifies our heart now Peter uses this idea of gold and silver to help us understand the difference offense makes in our life. The first thing God does through offense is he purifies our heart. When gold is mixed with any other substance, it becomes hard and less pliable and and, and more corrosive. Gold mixed with another substance is called an alloy. The higher the percentage of foreign substances in gold the harder the gold is and the less pure it is the lower the percentage of gold and other and other the lower the percentage of other minerals and metals in gold the softer and more valuable the gold god uses offense to remove sinful character defects from our lives I promise you this i do not notice character defects in myself when i'm winning in life When things are going my way, I'm not looking in the mirror going, dude, you are a messed up guy. You have got to surrender more to Christ. You have got to get better accountability. You've got to find some men to mentor you. When I'm winning, I look in the mirror and I'm like, dude, 
you go on with your bad self. I'm not looking at my flaws, but it's those, it's those seasons of trial and suffering that purify me and let me see the junk that is corrupting my life and making me impure. Given the description I gave on gold, you can see that as gold has things removed from it, it becomes stronger. It's not as brittle and it's not as weak. But here's a catch. To, to really refine gold, you have to grind it down to a powder until it's just microscopic flakes. You grind it down to a powder. You add a chemical to it called flux, which is a powder. And then you put it in a crucible and you heat it up and it melts. And the impurities are drawn into the flux and they raise to the surface. Two things that would not be comfortable about that if you were a human being. Number one, nobody wants to be ground down to a powder. Can I get a witness this morning? And number two, nobody wants to get into a crucible that is so hot it causes your whole entire being to melt. Can I get a second amen this morning? But it's true for us that lots of us, man, feel like we've been getting ground down and lit on fire. I'm telling you this for, for decades in some cases. And I'm going to give you some examples of what, what I think could be going on in lives of people who are experiencing that. Guys, none of that is fun. But God can use experiences, man, where even we as a church feel like, man, we are getting ground down and the, and the fire is getting turned up to bring about His glory and honor and praise. And that is what we live for. We live to bring glory and honor and praise to God. So I want to I give you another scripture. I'm not going to talk about how to work through forgiveness. That's coming up. But I want you now... Today, to begin to prepare your heart for freedom from a spirit of offense. I want you to begin to prepare your heart for freedom. Okay? I want to give you a scripture from 1 Peter. If you just flip another chapter over, chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. This is so important. I've been building up everything I'm going to say to this moment. If you don't catch anything else, catch this this morning. To this you were called. And if I've got it underlined in the screen, I really would recommend underlining it in your Bible. To this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But here's what he did. He committed himself to God, to him who judges righteously. This week, if you are going to prepare your heart for God to begin doing a work in you to set you free from bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, the traits that mark a spirit of offense, a spirit that feels offended, if you're going to begin to prepare your heart for freedom from that kind of a spirit, from that kind of bondage, from that kind of prison, and get yourself out from under the will of the enemy, first thing you've got to do is commit to your calling. Commit to your calling. People would tell me, Trent, I'm definitely called to preach. I'm called to speak God's word to thousands and see lives transform. And just God blesses my life and anointing pours out on my ministry. And, and, and people are set free. I'll have people tell me, Trent, God is calling me into a career where I can have the, the ministry of giving. I'm going to make a lot and I'm going to give a lot. And I'm going to be around people that see my spirit and, and that understand I'm going to be a giver. I, or God's calling me into a marriage, to a, to a fulfilling relationship. 
and I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have a family that loves me. I'm going to live like the Lord calls us to live, and it's going to be great. And the theme of all that is comfort. I want to have a comfortable career. I want to have a comfortable calling. I want to have a comfortable marriage. Ladies and gentlemen, your calling has nothing to do with comfort. God is not calling us into a comfortable lifestyle. Maybe God called you into a marriage just because he knew for 40 years it would be uncomfortable and you would be offended and feel hurt and feel even betrayed and you'd have to fight against bitterness. But it's God's calling on your life to use that to reveal impurities in your heart and to remove those character defects and to make you stronger and a better servant for him and glorify his name more what if he's calling you into a career that doesn't fulfill you mind blown what if god is calling you into a career where every day for 20 years you're just gutting it out punching the clock and just grinding nobody ever says trent man i know god's calling me into an unsatisfying career for 100% sure, God wants to teach me purity and strengthen me by making me deal with a career I despise for 30 years. Uh, God did call Kirsten into an unfulfilling marriage, and she is doing exceptionally. But I have yet, I have yet to have a couple walk in my office and go, you know what, this marriage's intent is really to teach us how to deal with people who are tough to live with. And we are just so excited because we know our chemistry doesn't exactly match up and our personalities aren't a great fit and God's going to use us to reveal character defects in us that we can surrender to Him and become more pure and more holy. Not happy, but that's not why we're getting married. Nobody's ever said that. Okay, but let me, let me, te- let me teach you something here. You were called to suffering because Christ suffered. That's your calling. Maybe the church you attend, maybe the career you got, maybe the marriage you have or the friend group you're in that you don't feel like is quite cool enough for you or gives you quite enough validation or makes you look good enough in the community. Have you ever considered that maybe God's got you right exactly where he wants you? And he's going to use those things in your life to make you more pure and stronger and to bring him more glory? I hope you'll consider that and allow that truth to begin to soften your heart as you prepare to be set free. Second thing uh, I, want you to, I want you to do, I want you to connect deeply with Christ. Connect deeply with Christ on a very personal level. Trent, that sounds great. How do I do that? One of the best ways to connect deeply with Christ is by living the way that he lived. It's one of the best ways you can connect with Jesus Christ. And we get a good example of how Jesus handled offense right here in this text. The only person who, who had a leg to stand on to justify, hey, in this situa- situation I'm really right and you're really wrong, was the Lord Jesus Christ who never committed sin and a bad word. What's the, what's the text say? He committed no sin and no bad word was ever found in his mouth. Never spoke a bad word against anybody. That's not your testimony or mine, right? And we still want to behave as though we're the second incarnation of Jesus Christ. Hey, you shouldn't say that about me because I'm a really good guy. You shouldn't have sinned against me because I'd never do that to you. Not true. So what if we really started to follow the example of Jesus and live in unconditional love like he did? That's example number one. 
And example number two, not revile someone when they revile us. Not speak badly of someone when they hurt our feelings. What if we really started, started to expect imperfect people, think about this, to be imperfect and to love them anyway? So many times in life, friends, it's not about who you're leading. Facebook must have me pegged pretty well because I always get these uh, ads like, we're going to teach you how to grow your coaching business. You know what I'm saying? Or we're going to teach you how to turn the blog you write into financial freedom. Don't write a blog. Don't do coaching. Okay? But I'm kind of in that field in a sense because I'm in ministry. And I see this stuff all the time. And I, I, I constantly think so many times in our culture it's about leadership. Right? Who are you leading? Who reads your blog? Who are you influencing on social media? Who are you coaching? Who are you? Our Christian life is not about leading as much as it's about following. It's not about who's following you as much as it's about who you are following. As you're preparing your heart for freedom, follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ by loving unconditionally and not expecting imperfect people to be anything other than they are, which is imperfect. Third thing you can do is change your thinking. Change your thinking about the trials that you've gone through. I'm going to close. What does Jesus do in the midst of his greatest suffering? In the midst of his greatest offense, he commits himself to God who judges righteously. And here's what I think that that means. I think we in our minds say, God, you got this. Not me. You got this. And I'm putting this situation into your hands And I'm leaving it there. I'm not going to take it back from you. You got this. I'm putting this situation in your hands. And I'm leaving it there for your glory. So often in our situations, especially when when they hurt us, we think, I've got to do something about this. I've got to go sue this person. I've got to go press charges. I've got to tell everybody that this is a dangerous individual. I've got to fix this And what if we allow God really to be the just judge and sovereign Lord that he says he is and say, say, God, this situation is yours. And I am placing its outcome and everything that happens between now and then in your hands. That's how I start to think of it. And I'm going to leave it there. As I'm talking this morning, some of you are feeling the heaviness of resentment and bitterness um, and, and, and you need to come forward and say, God, help me commit to my calling, which is to be uncomfortable. God, help me to really follow Jesus' example, which is to live in a way that I love others unconditionally and don't return like for like. I expect imperfect people to be imperfect. And God, help me change how I think about this situation that's hurt me. Some of you just need to start that process. If that's you... Allow God's Spirit to strengthen you and come forward and let us pray, pray over you. Maybe you've got a need completely unrelated to what I've been talking about this morning. This is a perfect time to bring that need to the Lord. And if there is anything else on your heart that you need to pray for, I'm going I'm to conclude in prayer. And then I invite you to come forward and please stay in this material for the next couple of weeks. I really believe God intends to change our lives 
through some of what he's going to teach us over the next few weeks if you'll keep your heart and mind focused on him. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you so grateful for the chance that you have given me, the calling you've given me uh, to have the opportunity to preach and teach your word. It is such an honor, and I believe that you are using the material that we are teaching about over the next few weeks to change the lives of this congregation. I pray that we would just lay our burdens at your feet, let walls come down, and allow you to prepare us today for freedom. That's the first step we got to take is the step of preparation. Move on the hearts of your people, God. Uh, motivate them and empower them to come forward and begin to lay their burdens at your feet. For any who have any kind of a need, God, I ask that same thing, that you would strengthen and motivate them. And I pray all of these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen.